grab a Bible. You're going to be in the most, uh, the second easiest book to find. Uh, we started all this in Genesis. Now you're going to be in Revelation, last book. We have been doing this study of the story of God for going on two years since we moved in this building. We began in January of 21, or what, 22, excuse me. And so we've gone a whole year, and we've covered uh, about 79 key stories of God from before creation all the way through. And uh, I'm not going to recap it this week, but I will recap it again before we're done. But the key points in the story are God before creation, God who created, man who rebelled, but God who saved anyway. Uh, It took about 70% of your book to come to that stage. And he saved, God saved, through the birth of himself in a son to Mary, who went to a cross and died to bear our sin and to extend to us hope from the grave. That's what we talked about last week, was grace, really. And then he empowered his church and his disciples to grow this church, this body of believers. And that's what happened. And it spread and it spread and it spread. And we looked at that all through Acts. And now we come to the close, not of history, not of God, not of what God's doing, but of his word. So. Go to Revelation, last book, in the far back. We're going to finish this series up. There'll be about four messages in Revelation, and we'll be done. We're not doing all of Revelation. So uh, I have done it before. If you want to talk about it, we can talk about it. But that's we're doing the story of God, not the story of the end of mankind or the who's who of, of what time period and what trumpet and what whatever. We're not, we're not doing – that's not our focus So in what we're doing at the moment. But – the story of God is, and so Revelation picks back up this story. So that's where we are. We're in Revelation you're in chapter 1, right in the beginning. And one thing I want you to note is something often mistaken. What's the title of the book? Revelation. There's no plural on that word. This is not a collection of revelations. This is not a, compil- a compilation of events and things and, 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 and uh, visions and all that stuff about end times. Everybody hears end times, you go right to Revelation. It's not about this, you know, this collection of revelations about end times. It is one thing. It's the revelation of Jesus. It is the revealing of Jesus. There's a movie uh, years ago that was popular. I, I, I really liked it. It's called The Prestige, and it's about magicians. Uh, I won't go into the whole movie, but there's some famous actors and stuff, a lot of famous actors in it. But it's about magicians, a fictional movie. But in uh, discussing how to make someone disappear or to pull off the magic trick of making something disappear, the mentor of the main character says this, every magic trick consists of three parts or acts. The first part is called the pledge. The magician shows you something ordinary, a deck of cards, a bird, a man. Perhaps he asks you to inspect it to see if it's indeed real, unaltered, normal. But of course, it probably isn't. 
The second act is called the turn. The magician takes the ordinary something and makes it do something extraordinary. But you wouldn't clap yet. Because making something disappear isn't enough. You have to bring it back. That's why every magic trick has a third act, the hardest part, the part we call the prestige. Revelation is no magic act, but it is the prestige. It is the appearing of Jesus who appears to have disappeared. It would appear he's gone, but he's not. Centuries ago, the world is telling you he's gone. The world is telling you you're a fool for believing in him. The world is telling you he's been dead for 2,000 years, although they can't find a body. You can find 10 million old dinosaur bones, but you can't find this one man's body. Side note. Uh, The whole world wants you to think he's dead, but he will be revealed alive and king of all. That's what Revelation is about. So where are we in history at this point? Okay. Well, historically speaking, on July 19th, 64 A.D., 30 years after Christ, uh, a fire erupted in Rome. World, You can look this up. It's world-famous history. Even now, a fire burned uh, a great part of Rome. Nero, the emperor, he was a madman. He was blamed for it, but then he turned around and blamed the Christians for it. And it began this massive persecution, uh, Thirty, which probably was the one that took Paul's life. Thirty years later, Domitian is the new emperor, and he made that persecution official. He made it a... Uh, he made Christianity illegal, and he turned that persecution into something sanctioned. And then it got real bad. All the apostles were dead at this point, except John. John is exiled on an island called Patmos, where he was probably working in mines. Doesn't tell us what he was doing. It was in the Medi- island in the Mediterranean. And the church needs hope. Like the church that these apostles have grown for 30-something years plus. Now, now, now closer to 60 years. It needs hope. They need encouragement that this Jesus we believe in, he, he is real. We didn't just make this up, right? Like this really happened, right? Like, and John doesn't send a letter of a dead Jesus or a future angel Jesus. John sends the present, living, alive Jesus in a letter or a book here, really. literally calls it a book. So that brings me to my point when we lay in here. If Jesus, if you see who Jesus is, if you see who Jesus is, your life cannot be the same. That sounds real simple, and it is. If you see who Jesus is, your life cannot be the same. Look at verse 4 of Revelation 1. Again, we're not covering Revelation. So you're like, well, you skipped a few verses. Well, I may skip a few more. It's okay. We're, we're looking at the story of God. Verse 4. John says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Or the word there is coming. He who is coming. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. I'm not going to break that down, but that's probably a reference to the Holy Spirit because he's described that way in the Old Testament. Verse 5. 
and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the rulers and the uh, and the ruler of kings on the earth. Notice there it says it doesn't say who was and is and will be. It doesn't say who was, will be, and is at this present moment. Is comes first. Who is. He is present. He's always been present. Before, now, and always, he is present. And therefore, of course, yes, he's coming. Because <laughs> he's always been. He is. He is faithful, it says. Man, we, we toss that word around so, so crazy. But listen to me. Think about the sin you committed this week. I don't know any of your business. I'm just saying, but y'all all know. Think about the sins you committed this morning. He won't give up on you. He's still come for you. He's, he's faithful. He's the firstborn, which means he's witness to the fact. He's a faithful witness. He's witness to the fact. Firstborn from the dead doesn't mean that he was birthed. It means he rose from the dead. He was first to be born again from death. And he is a witness to the fact, which means when you see him alive, guess what? You can be too. In fact, you will be. Your destination is the only thing in question. The fact of your resurrection is going to happen. It's going to happen. And he is ruler of all on earth. Paul wrote this. Excuse me. John wrote this. Remember, first century, 90 maybe, A.D. And he said, at that point. He's ruler of all the earth. Remember what I just, the story I just told you? Nero, Domitian. Jesus is ruler. He rules them. Is he causing them to sin? Is he called, I, he didn't say that. All he said is, they are not outside his reach. He rules them too. Look at verse 5. It says, to him who loves us and has freed us. Man, circle that Past tense. If you belong to him, it's already done. It's already done. You're already freed from what? From our sin? How so? By his blood. He paid for you. It's already done. He he didn't earn you the right to do better. He freed you. By his blood. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin. So that we could become the righteousness of God. Not just, not just he made him to be sin. He, he took our sins on the cross. That, oh, that's part of it. But that's not good enough. He also gave us his righteousness. Like who he is now is who you are. We talked about that last week. If your faith is in him, it's already a done deal. Look back in Revelation 1 verse 6. And made us. Again, past tense. It's already done. Made us a kingdom. Priests to his God and Father. To him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now that's an intro. I'm just here to tell you, okay? That is an intro to a book. Priests there. I don't know if you feel like a priest or not. Basically, a priest had access to God. A priest was the go-between between God and the people. It was the responsibility of the priest to connect those who were coming seeking forgiveness of sin to the God who forgives sin. 
That's what you have a responsibility to do. That's what I have a responsibility to do. Second Corinthians, again, returning there. Chapter 5, again, verse 15. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him. Who for their sake died and was raised. If you are a living in Christ person, you don't get to live for you anymore. Live for him. Does that mean all your dreams and plans are crushed? Maybe. Maybe they need to be. But I can promise you, if you live for him, you will never imagine what those dreams could look like. That's beside the point. He goes on, verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to him, not counting their trespasses against him. And look what he says, entrusting to us that message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. We represent Christ to those who don't have him. God making his appeal through us. We implore you then, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's what it means to be a priest in his kingdom. To go to those who don't have him, make them aware that they need him, and then introduce them to him and implore them to come to him. That, that's what it means. Look at verse 7 back in Revelation 1. I love this word in the Bible. Behold. Again, another one we blow over. Uh, and, and some translations, modern, modern day translations kind of toss that word out or shift that word around because not many people say behold, you know, anymore. But that's not what it means. That word means stop what you're doing and look at this. That word is like, Take a pause and focus your eyes over here, like with anticipation that your mind is fixing to be shocked. That, that's what that word means. Stop and look at what? He is coming with the clouds. Clouds being not, not, not the clouds floating around the sky. That's a picture of the glory of God that, that was called the, the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament. It was the fiery cloud that would descend. It was the fiery cloud that led them through the desert. It was the cloud that landed on the temple. That's what it means. He's coming with that. The fire and the glory of God. Notice it says he is coming. It doesn't say he will come. What's the difference? I know it sounds like I'm splitting hairs, but I'm not. Because if we think of him and he will come, it's almost like He's just sitting there waiting for somebody to ring the bell or for dinner to be over so he can get up and whatever it is. He's just waiting. That's not the case. He is coming this way. Not that he's in outer space making some long journey to get back. It is a process of coming. And I said it last week. I'll say it again. I'm okay that it's taken him 2,000 years because if it hadn't, I would not be part of it. You know what I mean? Do I want to wait another 2,000 years? No chance. You know what I mean? I mean, I want him here now, but I'm just saying. All right? He is coming. And then he goes, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Which means let it be. Even so, let it come. 
This book here that we're talking about is written to detail how, when, and where Jesus is going to be made known and revealed to the world. Not how locusts are actually helicopters and how Ukraine is going to be the great beast of the whatever and all that. That, that, that is not what this book is about. Now, it might address some of those things. And they might be fun to think about, but that's not what the book is about. What the book is about is how, when, and where Jesus is going to be revealed to the world. How do I know that? Number one, it's the title of the book. Number two, it's the first line in the book. And number three, it's the theme of the whole book. The whole book. All right. There will be, though, according to this verse, when he does come, there ain't going to be any confusion about it. No confusion. There's not going to be any doubt that it's him. Every eye is going to see him. Is that going to be, you know, once upon a time people say, well, it's satellites. Then they say, well, it's the Internet. And, and, And now we could say it's cell phones or it's social media. Listen, if you can go to Google Earth and see a dot in the middle of an Arabian desert, you'd be able to see anything in the world on that little gadget you hold in your hand. I got that. But it doesn't mean we all have to be focused on the sky at that moment. It just means we're all going to know it's him. We will all know he's here. There will be no doubt about that. It might take you a day or two to get the news even. But you're still going to know that it's him and that he's here. We don't all have to be focused on the same transcendence from the sky. That's not what it's trying to tell you. It's just that the world is going to know. But the key that he points out, did you see he made a little side note there? Those who pierced him, who's that referring to? You know, it's actually a quote from the Old Testament. And, and listen to me. I'm going to give you a handful of verses today. They'll put them up here. But... The reason that, that, that as we go through Revelation, Revelation, you'll get a lot of verses, is because almost all of Revelation is in the Old Testament. Really, only the last two chapters are anything new. new. It's all intertwined throughout the Old Testament. And the more you know the Word of God, the more you realize that Revelation is that, yep, that's what you said. Yep, that's what you said. Yep, you said you would do that. More so than, a, well, what's that? Well, wow, that's crazy. Or what's that over there? It's more fulfilling what his word says than it is predicting a bunch of brand new random stuff. All right. So, for instance, here, Zechariah twelve ten, God says, I'll pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Israel, in particularly the capital city, Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, which means he's going to pour grace on them so that. They plead for mercy. How did you get saved? God did the same thing for you. He poured out grace. We talked about this last week. And you pled for mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. All right? So he's going to do that for them so that, look what, now watch the wording here. This is epic. When they look on me, who's speaking? God, right? When they look on me, On him who they have pierced. So who is God calling himself here? Jesus. Literally. Want a connection point that Jesus and God are the same? Here you go. Old Testament connection point. They shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. And they'll weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. He was pierced at the cross. You couldn't have a more blunt... uh, 
a fulfillment of that, except that, except that, when he was pierced on the cross, they looked at him, and were they mourning and weeping over him? No. They were mocking and jeering and spitting at him. But there's going to come a day when they will see him who they have pierced. And he will pour grace on them. And they will weep. Because he was it. It was, it was him. And they'll understand the weight of what it feels like to have lost a child that was theirs. The only one they ever had. You know what I mean? And, and, and then it says, all the earth, though, will wail. That literally means cut themselves. A strong language. All the earth will, will, will cut themselves. Like, it's regret, maybe. It's him. He's alive. Like, all this talk we've heard, he's alive, he's real, there he is. But it won't likely be repentance. It will more likely be bitterness, angry, frustration. You may think, well, how's that possible? Man, if I saw Jesus alive today, blah, blah, no, don't, not, not, not apart from his grace. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. If you don't believe now, you won't believe then. You won't. And then it says, look, even so, amen. Even if they wail, even if they cry, even if, these, even if some horribleness comes, amen, please come. Please come. Look at verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, you can walk through how many times God's, Jesus and God are both, they're the same, but the word I am is intermixed in this. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. So that's like saying I'm the A to the Z, you know, says the Lord God. Who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, completely sovereign. Nobody has more might than he. That's what it means, Almighty. Nobody has more might than he does. The same language is said at the end of the book. You don't have to flip there, but because we'll, we'll come there in a few weeks. Revelation 22, verse 13. I am, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first, last, the beginning, and the end. Jesus is calling himself this same character here back in Revelation 1.8, who is considered to be God speaking. Is, was, and be. That's a description of God in the Old Testament. When you hear the language Jehovah or Yahweh, that word, I am, it is the Hebrew meshing together of is, was, and will be. I am. I am always present. I am the is, was, will be. That's the person that Moses met. In the fiery bush said, tell them I am sent you. Tell them is, was, will be sent you. So right here, this is identifying the Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega, as that person. Is, was, will be. I am. Verse 9. I, John, your brother, and partner in the tribulation. Basically saying I'm family with you guys. I'm suffering alongside you under Domitian and the remnants of Nero and all of that. And the kingdom. And the patient endurance that are in Jesus presently, that's your identity alongside him. 
And I was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So he's in this place, not just because he's in this place because he's talking about Jesus and he's sharing the word of God. But let's not race over that for everything else. We're having this awesome moment. Jesus is revealed. He's amazing. He's almighty. He's all powerful. But John is saying, yeah, but I'm on lockdown going through it with you. Going through it with you. Give you some examples of that from Scripture. Jesus on words, and I'll just spit these. Some of these may be up there, but not the first few. Matthew ten twenty two. Jesus said, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Matthew 24, 9, Jesus said they'll deliver you to tribulation. They'll put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Luke 21, 12, Jesus said, but before the end times, they will lay their hands on you. They'll persecute you. They'll deliver you up to the synagogues and they'll put you in prison You'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Three times, my name's sake. If you're not running into trouble, you're not saying his name. You can say, listen, I'm in a public school. I can say God all day long. You know it, coach. I can say God all day long. If I say Jesus, we got a problem. Immediately. Immediately. It's for sharing his name. Second Timothy 3.12. You ought to all have this one in your head. If you don't, write it down. It's easy. But it needs to be known. Paul said, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Indeed, how many? Who? All. The missionaries? The radicals? No. All. All who what? All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. If you're trying to live a Christian godly life, you will be persecuted. So it's an easy math test. If you never face any persecution, you're failing. The easy math test. But, Jesus said, not going to leave you hanging. Be encouraged. John sixteen thirty three. I told you these things because in me you can have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. It's going to happen. But, Take heart, I overcame the world. Domitian may be doing what he's doing. Nero may be burning them alive and all that. But take heart, I overcame the world. I am the Almighty. He cannot have you. Well, it still sounds a little bit disheartening, but we're going to keep reading. Remember, John hasn't, before we go on this next section, remember, John hasn't seen Jesus in maybe 60 years. Since the last time he saw him, John's probably about 90 at this point in that ballpark. So, so I want you to close your eyes for a minute. Seriously, just close your eyes for a quick minute. Don't fall asleep on me. Just close your eyes. Uh, and, and, and I want you to picture, I mean, don't, don't try, just whatever comes to your mind, picture Jesus. Now, you can open your eyes back up. I'm not going to ask you all what you saw because we all have different ideas of what we think. Nobody knows. There's no paintings. There's no drawings. Um, we can de- we can determine a lot based on things in Scripture, but we don't know, okay, what he looks like. But what did you picture? Did you picture a man on a cross? Did you picture a man carrying a cross? Did you picture a crown of thorns? 
Did you picture a baby in a manger? Did you picture a hippie with slides kicking it down, uh, you know, leather sandals kicking it down the streets of Jerusalem? Like what? What did you? What did you picture? I, I, I'm not saying you're right, or wrong, or anything. I'm just asking what you picture. Well, let me give you what current picture of Jesus looks like based on John's what John sees. Look at verse ten. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard, so he hears a sound behind me. What's the sound? It's a loud voice like a trumpet. It's not a trumpet, but it is loud. It is blasting. It is make your hair blow forward. You know what I'm saying? Blasting voice here. And this voice doesn't say, hey, John, how you been? Hey, what's going on? What's happening? How's the fam? Doesn't say that. It's just straight into command. Write what you see, which means he's going to see something. Write it down. In a book, send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Uh, that's, we're not going to go over those, but those are the next chapters of those uh, letters to them. It's just one book, but they all got it and circulated it around, and there's a personal address to each one of them. Uh, you can read them, study them in your own time, but I will say this really quick. That's the importance of being in a local church. If you were a believer in Ephesus, but you didn't think it was important to go to church in Ephesus, you missed this whole thing. Missed the whole thing. It's not, not, you're not getting it. It's important to be part of that. Verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice. John said, well, I turned around to see who's speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Uh, those lampstands, you could think of menorahs probably, or they could have just been lampstands. But either way, those represented churches. That's identified later. I'm not going into it. You can keep reading. It tells you they are churches. They are those churches that we just mentioned. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe. Think about Isaiah 6 when his robe filled the temple. You know, you can go back and look at it in your own time. And with a golden sash, uh, which is a belt, it's just a belt. It sounds kind of funny to us, but think about the time period. It's a belt around his chest, and that may, meant he was a judge. So to have that that belt around your chest was the play, the uh, the look of a judge. That would be like a, a robe, a black robe for us coming in. All right. And notice he's in their midst. That means in the middle. That's not just, why is he standing there? The point is, he's among these churches. So he's telling you beforehand, he's among these churches. Regardless of their struggles, regardless of their failures, they're still his. And he's still sitting there among them. It says, like a son of man. Now, this is a common phrase Jesus used. It is not just a weird, funny statement. It means something. It's a reference to a character in the Old Testament. I told you, it's all there. So I'm showing it to you, too. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel says, I saw in the visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Does this not already sound like the same thing we just heard in Revelation? Coming on the clouds. All right? Son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, this son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting. And it shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. John is saying that's him. 
This is him. John 5, Jesus said, and he's speaking in a third person. So he's speaking of himself uh, in third person here. But he says, and the Father, he has given him, Jesus, remember he's speaking of himself, has given him, the Son of Man, authority to execute judgment because, because he is the Son of Man. Because he is this guy Daniel talked about. God has given him the right to judge. And he says, do not marvel at this. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. All. We all think about raptures and all this stuff. I'm not going off that rabbit trail right now, but except to say that we all imagine the godly people being raised from the grave. No, they're all, they're all coming out. They're all coming out. If you don't want to follow Christ, you don't have to, but you're coming out of that grave. They're all coming out. And it says, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to resurrection of judgment. Look at verse 14, back in Revelation 1. The hairs of his head, so he's that guy, and he goes on. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. Like he's trying to figure out ways to explain this because it doesn't look normal. Not gray, like all this little bit. Well, see, I shave. You don't get to see mine, but I got all this gray. Not that. Like almost glowing white, you know, white. It's like picture of purity and holy and sinless. His eyes were like a flame of fire, like able to see into the soul, like burning through what is untrue. His feet were like burnished bronze, which again is a sign of judgment, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Calls the dead to life, this voice. He's here to judge the burnished bronze. Remember, Jesus was not a white guy. So if you're like, well, that's weird, he's got bronze feet. He wasn't white. Shocker. He was probably a nice tan color. All right? Not even being funny. Yes, that's the truth of it. Daniel 7. Again, back to the same passage in Daniel that we were just looking at. In verse 9, Daniel said, I looked, thrones were placed. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. His hair, The hair of his head pure like wool. Uh, his throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. And a thousand thousand served him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. Court sat in judgment and books are open. This is the same kind of scene that John is describing in Revelation. Let's move quick through the rest of it. Verse 16. In his right hand he held seven stars. That's the leaders of those churches. Again, you'll see that in a minute. We're not going into it, but it's there. Right hand is the symbol of power and authority. He's saying he rules the church. First Corinthians 1.18. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. In everything, he's first. Verse 16. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. That sounds weird. That's funny to think about. But that's trying to paint us a picture. Uh, just like everything else. It's trying to make us look back at scripture. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit. Of joints and of marrow. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Look at this. No creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him. To whom we must give an account. This is him. 
the word of God comes out of his mouth because he is both the word and God. And it stabs. His eyes are burning because we everything's exposed to him and we have to give an account. Verse 16, Revelation. And his face was like the sun shining at full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet. Like collapsed as though I was dead. Like full strength. Can you stare at the sun at full strength? Like you probably can, but it's going to burn your eyes. That's the, that's the whole point. Like, I can't, I can't look. I can't, I can't. Think about Moses. Moses had to veil his face. It's the same, it's the same kind of thing. This is the same John, by the way, who laid his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. Same one. This is the same John who saw his transfiguration, saw him change and become holy on that hilltop. This is the same one who saw him risen from the dead. This is the same one who likely touched his hands. This is the same one who ran in the grave. This is the same one who claimed to be the disciple who Jesus loved. And now he is terrified. Terrified. This is Jesus, the judge, the almighty God, coming to finish his business. Verse 17. But... He laid his right hand on me. That hand of power, he lays it on me and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, John. I am, there it is again, the first and the last. Isaiah 44, 6, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Thus says the Lord. That word Lord, all caps in your Bible, means it's that word Jehovah. I am, Yahweh, whatever. Thus says the The Lord, Yahweh, I am. The King of Israel and His Redeemer. That sounds funny. He's the King, but His Redeemer, all, it's speaking of two people as one. The Lord of hosts or armies. I am the first and I am the last and besides me, what? There is no God. And yet here we have Jesus saying those words. I am the first and I am the last. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. There is no other. They are the same. How do I explain that? I would love to, but I can't. It's okay. He, he, he spoke a universe into creation. It's okay that I can't explain him. He's a little bit more complicated than that. It's fine. Verse 18. We're almost done. Revelation 18. Last pieces. And the living one, it says, presently, continuously, he's alive. He says, I died And behold, pause, pay attention, see this, I am, again, alive forever. And I have presently, at the moment, the keys of death and Hades. Death cannot keep you. Domitian can put you in the ground, but the grave can't keep you. I don't care what happens to y'all today. I don't want nothing to happen to y'all. I love all of you. But if the if death came for you, death cannot have you. How do I know that? Because he has the keys. Adrian Rogers said this. He said, keys stand for authority, for possession, for privilege. The one who has the keys is the one who's in control. What do keys do? They open things. They also lock things. 
They unlock things. They liberate. They imprison. What are these keys to? To death and Hades, the two great enemies of man. The Greek word for Hades is the Hebrew word Sheol. Both words literally mean the realm of the dead. They can't, it cannot have you. Absolute dominion. He holds the keys. He lives. He's the creator. He's the conqueror. He's the king. He's the judge. That's Jesus today. Right now. Right now. I just want to put an exclamation point there and let it be done. In fact, I'm going to. If you guys want to stand up, John's going to come back. We'll do one more song. But you know what? I'm just going to plan it right there. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to do another song. And, and listen, sometimes I give you guys a big challenge. Hey, I want you to take this and do that. Take this and do that. I'm not even going to do that today. I just want you to think about this Jesus. I'm going to pray. Let's stand and pray. Lord, as Cameron said earlier, sometimes your word can be frightening, and John was was frightened in that moment, but but then the same hand of power touched him and said, Don't be afraid. Jesus, you died and you live forevermore. And, and because of that, we don't have to be afraid. You paid for us. The fact that you live is the witness that we will too. And we don't have to be afraid of judgment if if we've given our life to you. If we've recognized that your blood only can save from sin. If we've turned our lives to you and said, you know what, Lord, I can't do this. Only you can. I trust what you did on that cross for me. If that's us, then Lord, we... we You've been judged for us. How can we be judged by you? But Lord, that also tells us there's a day coming. It is approaching. And we love to look at the news and Israel and all these things. And your word says we should. I'm not playing that down. But you said you, you said that day would come like a thief in the night. We don't know when that day comes, Lord, but, but we know it's coming. And we know you're going to make things right and you're going to make your kingdom here. And and all these things we can't figure out with war and Gaza and Israel and uh, Russia and America and, and, and all of it, Lord. You'll make it right. You will, will rule here. You already rule. You'll rule here, though. Man, all I can think of is John's word. Even so... Calm. Amen. Lord, I love you and I ask these things for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.